Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, you had some computer problems. Ugh, I'm on this old computer. It's four years I, old. I've noticed, <laughs> I've, I've noticed that a lot of people uh, who work with computers, uh, designers, whatever, are working from home, and then their personal computer is better than their work computer, and then they shift to that, and then I've heard of people... They need a certain plugin or a certain software, and they're paying for it themselves. And the company is like, "Oh, you're fine. You can render this slower with, with, with this other thing." And it's this weird dichotomy where the computer is such a highly used device that you want it to be great, but the company is like, "Oh, you can work on an old Dell laptop. It's fine." <laughs> That's kind of true because it's a major expense for companies. I actually, I am using is my it? personal. Well, I'm using my personal computers instead of my work computer. My work computer it, is like a few years. My older. question is like. A new Mac laptop, like a pretty good one, you can get for twelve hundred bucks in the last three years. Is yeah. that a big expense on an employee compared to payroll? Well, I shouldn't admit, like I'm actually due for a computer upgrade from like our IT department, but I want it to be like better than the computer I have at home, right? So I could get an M1, but it wouldn't be a sixteen-inch M1. Like yeah. I, for me, I'm a super psycho guy, so I'm waiting for. Yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. super psycho guy. I'm waiting. Yeah, for- but I, I, you know, yeah. as far as the rumors, whatever you believe, I think. The new, the big laptop is not coming out until the end of the year. So that's another year that you're on a shitty laptop. I think they're saying August for M1 16-inch. I think there's a big chip M1X. shortage everywhere, so I wouldn't count on it. Apple but makes it, Apple makes its own chips. What are you talking about? Well, oh, you think they're like there are chips that like are additional yeah. chips that they use? I'm just saying, um, my chip lifestyle shortage. is the the MacBook Air with an external screen, and the, it's a killer combo. I I'm very heard, happy I, with that. I have heard. I have heard the Air is incredible. Even just getting yeah. the Mac Mini like will like yeah. improve your life. It's incredible value. And then, I mean, my last laptop lasted seven years. So when pe- people say computers are expensive, but then twelve, I mean, I like I'm, if you need a lot of hard to whatever, like fifteen hundred bucks over seven years for a machine you use eight to ten hours a day, I think is pretty good value. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ultimately, like, I just can't, I, I, like, the, I don't have a desk. <laughs> so yeah, I, what's up with that? Is your back hurting? No, no, no. it's not hurting at all. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have I have zero back pain. I think okay. I'm the only person my age in the world without back pain, actually. Uh, I don't have back pain either. So maybe it's, <laughs> podcasting is good for the back. I think that's the secret. I think it's sitting in a good, I, a good chair. Here's my theory on back pain, which, like, listeners are going to revolt at, which is, like, Lean into the slouch, <laughs> but if the body wants <laughs> yeah. to slouch, let it slouch. You know, like. I've had I've had a shoulder pain and wrist pain, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in two thousand five, and it was due to financial stress. It, I I came back. I lived in LA for a year and depleted all my funds. And came back to Amsterdam. Kind of felt like I had lost, and uh, the projects that I wanted didn't go through, and I was a loser. Whatever. Yeah, and the bank account was low, and I was applying for jobs that I didn't want, and it's a low moment. And then my arms started hurting so bad, so I decided, okay, I should swim twice a week, and I should start jogging, and all that stuff, and I should only do computer two hours a day, and And did that for six months. But then, as soon as projects came in, the pain went away. So it was, at least in my case, it was very clear that it was stress. Hmm. I sometimes Uh, get a little bit of wrist pain from using a trackpad, like. It's not good ergonomics mm. to do that. Um, yeah. But I actually have been fine recently. I don't know what it is. I think Weird, I built huh? up the muscles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that that is one of those things that health and like the 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 set that you were given at birth 
whatever your your set of components is mm-hmm. that's a big i i think about that a lot maybe this goes into just like and and we have one question which is kind of a difficult topic to talk about as a man but like the challenges of female artists but mm. um just seeing if you have health challenges but what a downside that is what a disadvantage oh my god hugely yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, like, like so if you're prone to migraines or if you're prone to nausea or allergies or back pain and yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, in for sure. I mean, I have. Uh, I don't have. I yeah, I was born without uh, very many um, <coughs> issues like that. I mean, Kristen has eye eye issues, right? She was born yeah. blind, so you know, for her, it can be like sometimes i'll have to pick her up because she'll be walking home or something and she'll and her the just the wind in her eyes she has just has a lot of issues and like to you know you think you take for granted and actually i punish her because like it's only in cold weather that <laughs> that happens to oh. her. and she's like, yeah. like willing to live in toronto for me so anyway yeah it's, um, it's funny you guys meet and she's like i have a medical condition that makes it really hard to be in the cold let's move to toronto i was like what's the coldest largest city in the world let's <laughs> yeah. move there <laughs> yeah. um yeah anyway um but you've had a busy week i don't know if you want to talk about it or if we'll get to it um it was a normal week con- the, the nft craze continues i guess is the is yeah, the, ba- yeah, is yeah. the background buzz yeah um and one of the things that's interesting is like I, yesterday I post you you help you invited me thank you for for giving me an invite to foundation but I also signed up for the impossible to pronounce <laughs> what I'm hick calling and nunk? what hick and nunk yeah but I think people either shorten it to like hick or hen apparently I'm on the yeah. hen side of things even though hen's not even in the name so I signed do up you for- remember that that social network that alternative to Facebook that was made by graphic designers it was yeah. hello or something. It wasn't called, yeah, the black and white one, you mean? It was, yeah, with the, with the courier type, uh, the typewriter sort yeah, of typeface. Yeah, like artists yeah. went crazy for for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, we're finally free. Yeah, 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 and then it didn't, it fizzled out. Well, because there's no network effects, but this actually does seem to have some network effects. The yeah, well, thing is- in theory, NFT is completely open source, so you're platform independent anyway, so it's, it's more about your community. Sorry. <coughs> it's more about your uh, relationship with your own audience is not so much the network effect of the platform. I think it's like I posted about uh, being on foundation and then my DMs blew up with like, hey, dude, you got to try this. <laughs> you got to do that. And yeah. Like, Tezos is the yeah. future. And suddenly I got sucked into like, I don't, there is a, there is a sort of like a, a war, a brewing uh, behind the scenes uh, that, you know, like regardless of your own personal practice, there's like, there are, there are like cliques forming, factions forming. But uh, this the the way it was positioned in my DMs, like, hey, you got to use Hen because on Hen, like, it's you can actually define your own um, your own parameters Terms. for media. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. First of all, it's like completely open source. Second, it's like no carbon or low carbon. And then the the third thing is like you can have like an HTML uh, framework. Like you can you can kind of mangle yeah, it. Yeah, you can embed uh, HTML code. Yeah, you can embed HTML yeah. code. So my friend was like, you could like. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It, it's funny because it, um, NFTs are digital art certificates, and then theoretically you could do everything. It could be an app, it could be a database work, it could be a Twitter account, whatever. And then I've always made code-based works, but now I'm really enjoying compressing an idea into a, a square video. Mm-hmm. And even think- even though 
Yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, I think you've been doing that. <clears throat> you've just been doing it as textiles and, and, and sort of printed yeah, works. Yeah, but so the, the traditionally I always said my works are scalable and that's very important. But now I finally gave into video and, and started getting better at my program. I made a tool where the video, the the JavaScript work is random, but it, the beginning and the end are the same and it's unpredictable what's in the middle. And then he made a tool where there's a PNG uh, sequence export so it's exactly it pauses each frame and then generates a png and that way there's no dropped frames and mm. but then i'm really enjoying that i just have this photo album on my phone that plays very easily and i can share it on whatsapp with my family hey what do you think of this piece mm -hmm. and what i'm trying to say is that traditionally when i started like low res low bandwidth was the way to go and now it's more the shareability, and I mean that sounds really obvious. Well, you're talking about and it convenience. Again. I should have thought of. I should have what? what? It's about convenience again. Like we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. but it, it sounds obvious. Like already ten years ago, you could have been like, yeah, of course, people. It's easier to share a GIF than a website, but. Um, I don't think it, you could have done it ten years ago because you wouldn't have established conceptual a conceptual framework for understanding your mm. work. Yeah, like, and and I'm uh, the the plan is to also make the. HTML JavaScript files. I'm, I'm going to make a page on my website with the NFT versions, like the the, mm -hmm. the video, which is like the recording that I made that I think is the best version of the process of the of the code based piece. But then you can also view the code based piece, and and that way the collectors can always make a high res screen recording in the future, even if they can't contact me or whatever. They can just yeah yeah. I also think like obviously I was just. Prof you know, talking about like hen being open and like you can do anything on it, but that makes it, it if you visit the site, it's extremely confusing. That's what <laughs> so. I mean. That, maybe, that, that was my point. Like if um, the power of Instagram was like, it was the limitations. And I think even now it's a bit too elaborate. There's a bit too many options. And I think there's a beauty in, let's all agree, there's these two image for, because you have AR sculptures, but I think AR sculptures are also cool as a 360 video with a, interesting lighting and that's a way to view an AR sculpture too. I, I That's a way to view a 3D sculpture. I think AR, like I'll just make, okay. it, it's a silly technology. I've always talked about that, but like, well, you're all about the silly. Yeah. But that's what makes it beautiful. Yeah. Is it's fault. Yeah. It's failability. So anyway, I, whether or not like, cause foundation is bringing AR to the platform it says coming soon, but I didn't realize that until you gave me an invite. And well, so you know maybe, how it is with with in software with coming soon. Yeah, yeah, that could be two years from now. So yeah, um, yeah, I'll have to. Hey, Lindsay, get my DMs. <laughs> what's what's <laughs> no, going but, on? When is uh, it coming uh, soon? We'll see if if the NFT media formats expand or that we settle on. Even if it's a different kind of project, the NFT will be a video clip because it's not just shareability to other people, but it's shareability on a web page that mm -hmm. you, you can just quickly browse hundreds of works instead of each work requires you to open a separate tab. Yeah. And so it, it's maybe seeing it from the point of the maker saying, I want all the possibilities. But if you see it from the point of the audience, they're like, I want to browse through something as easily as my photo album. Yeah. This feels like Kickstarter to me though. Like, um, when Kickstarter first came out, um, like as a new platform, you know, people are still generating the terms for yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what is a Kickstarter? Yeah, what is a Kickstarter? Yeah, potato yeah. salad. Yeah, exactly. The potato salad breakthrough. Oh man, that that's actually a really good point. Which is like, can't we just agree that a Kickstarter is 
you know, not a potato salad. And then they're like, it's open to everything. And, <laughs> it's like, and then how long did that potato salad craze last? About two weeks. Like once they yeah. opened it to everything, that was like the platform yeah. took a dive. Twitter the same way, right? Where it's like they ask, people have been asking to edit a tweet for like decades. Like one more. Yeah, I don't get a tweet. I don't get that. Not being Why able to edit? To, yeah, it's weird. It's such a minute form of communication. It's like trying to edit a Snapchat. No, but I, but Twitter, I mean, I kind of respect that Twitter is stuck to their guns despite like sinking yeah, stock. You know? <laughs> no, we will yeah. never compromise. Yeah. Um, anyway. But so, I, I, I mean, I'm all, always for simplification. So I feel like Twitter has become too comp- complex. And I think Instagram is, I, w- I would have liked if Instagram said square photos, that's it, no video. Mm, mm. Yeah. But you know me, but, I want chaos. So oh yeah, I'm yeah, heading yeah. right into the chaos. I'm, it's going to yeah. be a head-to-head battle between the punks and the and the and the what, what is the other group? Maybe the the preps. It's punks versus yeah. preps. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight. Um, we'll see what happens. And I'm definitely going to cause a stir. <laughs> so this week we're going to do things a little differently, and we're going to answer three questions in maybe yes. each 15 minutes. Okay, this is a question gauntlet. We have done zero preparation because I don't even know yeah. what the first question is going to be. And so prepare um, for low, so low we'll, quality. We'll go, in, we'll go in alphabetical order. So we'll start with uh, Hans Verhagen, Hans Verhagen in I'm glad you said that. American. And uh, he's from Belgium and he has a question for us about documentation. So let's have a listen. Hi, Raphael and Jeremy. Here's another question or possible topic for good point. Um, You talked about Chris Burden's weird way of documenting his own work. Documenting and archiving one's own work is probably not the most sexy aspect of making art. But personally, I wish I would have started with it much earlier in my career. With infinite digital possibilities nowadays, it seems much easier than ever. And with everyone more or less stuck at home, it also seems a perfect activity to do or start right now. So, what are some of the best practices you both could suggest for documenting or archiving one's own art? My personal favorite is simple as updating a website continuously and treat it as an archive, a backup, a documenting center, a communication tool, and a permanent portfolio is just perfect for me. Greetings again from snowy Brussels. Bye. Okay, Hans, thank you for the question. Great question. Yeah, I, I think uh, the first thing for me that came to mind is that we cannot separate documentation from art anymore and I, I don't know if it's ever been different but I think in the age we live in knowing that the amount of people that see the work versus the amount of people that see the documentation mm. is so extreme that we have to consider it as one fluid uh, gradient between studio to audience and and, and it being uh, distributed I have to admit like I'm I'm this is a very difficult question for me to answer because I'm on that Chris Burden side of things where I, I obviously I do take screen grabs and stuff that, you know, people, and, but in, and it, and the regret that you hear in Hans's voice is really resonant with me because like, I actually had a rule against documenting most of my work. But you started out with video. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I did. I did a lot of performances that I refused to document, and I said. And my position was like, if the audience documents it, then I'll show audience documentation because that's a closer measure of the actual experience than I could ever create. Um, but I've never actually even shared that audience documentation. And usually the audience documentation is pretty shitty. Like it's like really low risk and terrible. Well, I, th- I think part of why you refuse to do documentation is because it's almost impossible. And I, I think if you were a painter, you wouldn't be against documentation. No, yeah, exactly. If I do a live performance with augmented reality or something, it would the documentation would be so bad. Like, What about the, the TED Talks in general? Do you feel like that's an example of things that are seen much more online than in person, but it probably is more impressive in person? <sighs> Yeah, like they is, are. is that they a are. compromise? Like, they, should should they, should they Ted have never uh, published videos on the internet? I mean, if you're creating a video, my position has always been: if you're creating the work for the internet, like for YouTube or something, you create a video on YouTube, you show it on. But YouTube, but, but with Ted specifically, I think it's a format that was more for the internet than the real life experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think I, I've seen a talk by one of the videographers of Ted who was at the DLD conference. And so you see how much capital is needed to document a a keynote sort of talk. It's it's really, and I've seen friends try it and I've seen art schools doing interesting things with the sort of creating an alternative TV station and people doing performative stuff, but it's really a big budget thing and it's really hard to do it on an independent level. Yeah, because you're trying to get this, the energy of the room yeah. into a video and so that's why Chris Burden was uncomfortable with it and that's why I'm still uncomfortable with it but it's so. it's still with Chris Burden as much as he pretended to be against documentation it's thanks to the documentation that we're talking about it yeah I mean even Chris Burden he did seven like 70 some performances before he decided like you know what I'm done like I'm going to transition towards creating objects yeah um and the latter part of his career he didn't you know do almost any performances and, the, and then the people fetishize the bad quality of the documentation in his case, so it becomes the work. Like we we think of his performances in black and white. Yeah, but you know, like seventy, I just like I just dropped that. But I've never I've never seen documentation from seventy performances. So he documented only a tiny fraction yeah, yeah, yeah. of his work. Yeah, but um, still, like, and and then I think Tino Segal is the most uh, hardcore with it. That there's really no photo or video at all. Right. Yeah, um, and that and then that's a very privileged sort of uh, big economic center approach, mm-hmm. because it, it, someone who doesn't live in a major city can't see his performance and can't see documentation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always have I, this. I, I don't know for for sure if he also does performances in no, 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 but I, I think lower density population areas, but I don't think so. Hands combined two positions in his question one was the archive and the other was documentation right so um like both so the stewardship yeah. of the work is inherent upon like the the capture but, of the uh, documentation and then the preservation of the co- documentation here's and, what, what i'm when i'm uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt uh, as always no, okay. but what i why would I, I would suggest in your case it is very clear to me is you made online performances and you made irl performances yeah. And those can overlap. So you wouldn't just take a f- fancy camera when you're doing seven on seven and record that performance. Because it's, it's not as good, but you could do the same AR material and the same storyline, yeah, condense it for the internet. 
Yeah. And so is that documentation or is no. that a work? No. And 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 another here's another example. Uh, Jody has this work where they hacked Google Maps to create uh, animations with all the standard icons in Google Maps. So you see an earth's surface and all these restaurant icons and and things start repeating in in shapes. Uh, it was called GeoGoo and it was an online uh, experience. So you'd go there and it was actually happening within Google Maps. So you'd say, okay, that's the authentic experience. Mm -hmm. And then they made videos. So they had an uncompressed one-hour recording of one of these hacks, and they made several of those videos over the years, and the icons changed slightly over time, etc. Yeah. And now the Google Maps API changed, so the work is not available anymore right. as, a, as a generative work. Yep. And so what is the work, and are those videos documentation, or are they the work now? And what I'm trying to say is this, and the same with your online videos and your performances. I don't think there's a clear line. I, I don't think you can say that's art, that's documentation. Yeah, like I'll give you an example from my practice. Uh, my like Google AdWords work, like for the U Museum, if the ad, you know it was the way it worked originally was the ads would follow you around the internet, right? Um, then you know, but Google has changed its policies at different points. And, so and like, you took a lot of screenshots over time. Yeah, sure. But that screenshot is so different than being stalked around yeah. your regular daily yeah, browsing yeah, yeah. behavior. Like for you as the audience, I don't even actually understand the work. Like the the like similar to a generative work, it's beyond my comprehension to document. Yeah. Um, and so I know that that's like frustrating <laughs> for and, like. And there's the, yeah, but yeah. there's the, the, maybe this thing where if people have encountered the work, the documentation has a whole different meaning than if they've never seen the work. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I've noticed I always made websites which look kind of flat when you reproduce them as a still in a, in a book. Yeah. Because you don't get the movement and the idea. And then I started making objects and the objects do well in a photo, but like a lenticular is hard to document because it moves when you move your body. And the textiles are very different in person because you see the rhythm of the weaving and the threading and the details. And so you get into this. What I'm trying to say is there's a certain kind of work that if you've seen it one or two times and then you see the documentation, then you can accept the story and, and go with it. So it's this whole fluid thing where you have to have a taste of the real thing and then the documentation starts to make sense. Yeah. And some artists are like, fuck it, it's the institution's or the collector's job to figure out how to preserve and document this, right? It's not the artist's mm -hmm. job. And I'm almost on that side of like resignation, where like, if I try and exert any control, it's like, then my, but do you, it do sounds you see super the... purist, but like the artist's hand is now like saying, yeah. this is the work, but, but I'm but okay you're if someone early... it. Your your YouTube videos, do you see those as documentation of a performance or as video no. works? The, I mean, because the history of video art is one of performing for the technology itself. And so yeah. the yeah. the audience is actually excluded from that conversation, to be honest. Like, that's what a lot of people don't understand about video art, is that it is actually an intimate uh, performance between the technology and the performer, the artist. And what yeah. you get to see is the is kind of is actually like documentation in a way because it <clears throat> the documentation itself is the work that 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 is the best example of the documentation being the work itself um but what you but you what you can't see is the site you know it, it is kind of the invisible psychology between uh artist and technology i know that sounds yeah, really yeah. really like stupid the best piece i can point to is like a 
Richard, Sarah, and Nancy Holt piece called um, Boomerang. I think it's actually on YouTube. And you'll see in this video, like Nancy Holt is listening to herself on a slight delay. And it's causing her to slow down her thinking and like get confused about the script and what she's saying. And so in real time, she's like recounting what's going on in her brain. Yeah. And that itself, you cannot actually capture or record the brain activity, even if Zuckerberg's like trying to flip that or Elon (laughs) Musk or whatever. That brain activity, it results in the artwork as as a document, but not the artwork itself happened at the time of performance. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, then, then, yeah. then uh, we live in a very mediated time, mm-hmm. especially in the lockdown era. Very few people see you in person overall. And, and this podcast is an example where we made a decision. This is like an elaborate artist talk over the course of many years that is accessible. Mm-hmm. So is this documentation or is it a... Like, that's what I mean, like everything's blurred. Well, yeah, this, I mean, that's why I love doing this podcast is because we don't pre-plan it. And a lot of what's your, like the audience gets to see is very similar to video art, which is what's going on in our brains exposed to the greatest extent that is possible at the time, you know, and the place that we're in the context. But but, but video art is, is, is a good example where I'm sure when video art started, people were like, can we show a still of this video in a book? And then people say, no, how can you understand the movement and et cetera? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now we're at a stage where you can share the full work online. There's, there's many channels to, to show video art. Uh, and, then, and then people are maybe hesitant. It's like, oh, it, it loses the authority of the art institution. And it's just a, on, on YouTube between all the other crap. And I'm not comfortable with that. And well, let's just be let's be straight about this. Like, if you go to like creativeapplications.net, which I, I deeply respect, but there's a whole genre of new media work, which exists only as documentation, never to be seen. And this is actually the history of art and technology. Like, a lot of times the technology was so fragile, it couldn't even be exhibited, right? We've talked about this before. And so sometimes the documentation actually should be called the art, but it's not. It's actually yeah. a confession of the, like, <laughs> the kind of fallibility of the form itself. Uh, and, and like, I find, I, I did a studio visit once at a school, and the, the, I won't name the school, but the teacher was really saying, like, hey, you got to push hard for documentation. Like, make sure you've all done your documentation. Let me see your blog. Like, this was how they were structuring the class. And, I, you know, there's a certain sadness in me when I hear stuff like that because it, it, it leans toward the document being the only way we can quantify value when yeah. in fact the act itself is inherently valuable. Like, and, and well, that's, I, I, I do think, that. yeah, I do think that I, I just got my first vaccine appointment, so I'm excited. And the, I do think we'll see a revival of human connection in the next year. So I, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of happiness that we can go somewhere. I don't know. Maybe people are like, Oh, I'd rather watch this on TikTok, And it's great. Yeah. Well, I used to do, like, let's go to, I mean, we have to finish up this question, but Hans was like, you know, an archive um, where you're just posting to a website. I remember trying to use a Tumblr as like, by the way, Tumblr, pre-NFT, NFT without monetization, but like Tumblr was like, um, was where I would go to post up. But honestly, like, I look back at that Tumblr and it's just not well put together enough. It's hard for an audience to follow what's going on. There's like, it's like a video that's unedited. Yeah, that's a good argument that that's... You make uh, 
as an artist, you make so much work over the course of decades, and each is like an elaborate story or an mm -hmm. elaborate research. And then to show three images of each project, and it's very easy to be overwhelmed online with the artist websites. Exactly. Like, what, what should I look at first? I, and I'm not saying I've mastered that, the artist website yeah. by any means. I'm far off from it, actually. But I actually, like, having an artist website, I there are artists, especially at a certain level, who refuse to have websites. <laughs> like, well, there's know, two types. There's like the, the 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 ones that say, oh no, the gallery is the context, everything there, and then there are. Like Damien Hurst has a very elaborate website with metadata of everything and a search, and uh, he's like a whole media channel. So mm -hmm. there's different types of artists. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's once you have people working for you, it, it's similar to the artists at the art fair. Like the document is actually a, a, squ a squirmy, squeamish thing. Like, and uh, that's why it makes me, un it's, it's a good question because it makes all artists uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I will say probably the best advice is that you do hire someone to do your documentation for you because it's really hard to be the artist. I don't agree. And the documenter. Mm. Well, tell me, what, why, why do you say that? Because I like to do it myself. And I think other people would mess around and I wouldn't know where to find my stuff. And uh, yeah. Mm, I see what you're saying. Like, but but like, I, I, for example, on my website, I reduced it a bit. At first, I had pages for the lenticulars and then pages for the tapestries and things like that and now I only show them in in exhibition view so all the projects are kind of organized by exhibition because each exhibition is a point of research and then yeah. that's that's for me the editorial um, taxonomy but you're taking those exhibition stills no, 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 of course not. I don't take the photos, but I organize the, the archives. Yeah, that's what the I mean. The gallery. Oh, no. I, I, I've, I haven't taken my own documentation in a long time. I, I, I used to, and I look back and it's like, oh, this is really bad. That's what but, I mean. That's why my recommendation yeah, 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 yeah. is like definitely. No, and, and, and one of the things I would recommend is if you're an artist and you don't have a lot of money, of course, it's tough. Some artists are good at photography and some are not, but you can always. Because you're an artist, you know young photographers, and you can trade. You could either trade in the form of help, like maybe the photographer needs help with online strategy or help with the computer stuff, or you can trade works or something. But I think young artists don't have a lot of money, but they know a lot of young creative people. So that's also a form of capital. Yeah, 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 exactly. I've definitely traded on, on that. Um, but I've also paid paid artists to do it for me or yeah 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 but I, I understand it's you just have to look at your options and choose the, but yeah i i uh, we all know how important it is to be visible and i guess that's what the next question is about okay let's listen to our next question hi Raphael, jeremy here in belgium and probably all around the world it is a striking fact that the number of women attending art schools is much higher than the number of men and also that the number of women having a professional art career afterwards is much lower than the number of men. If you agree with this statement, what are some of the poss possible ways to change this? Personally, I find it a very energy-consuming activity to translate my woman brain creations to the still very typical man's world of art. I don't want to fight or score I only want to show. I am a lover, not a fighter. Greetings from Petra. Thank you for the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Yeah. One that um, it, it like there's so many angles on this. 
Yeah. Well, first, first I want to, I think you're more an expert on, on this than I am, but there's one of these things that it feels like so much progress has been made the last few years. And I think a lot of uh, historical artists have been ignored and have surfaced now and have been shown a lot so that I felt like we were headed in the right direction as far as uh, fairness with the balance of the genders in exhibitions. But maybe we're very far from it still. Oh, man, like uh, two podcasts ago or a podcast ago, you would have reframed that as, you know, why do you need the institution's legitimization to acknowledge the history of... Uh, no, of, but of, it's, of it's, it's for me, like the last few years, uh, a lot of historical artists... The, the uh, abstract painters that I didn't know that were uh, properly promoted. And I'm like, wow, this work is yeah. amazing. I, I mean, I think the first point I want to make is, uh, from my perspective, there are a, a huge number of female artists practicing today, and and I practice alongside a lot. Do we have data? Maybe that's my. Question. I also don't like the term. Yeah, female artists. I, I prefer to say women because the other thing is okay. this is not a binary discussion, right? There's a spectrum yeah. of gender, and there are different gender identities. But of like a female identifying or women artists that I have worked with. Well, let's with. say non-male. Let's say, let's say there's a whole group of, mm. of non-male that have been at a huge disadvantage. Okay, I'll, 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 ref- I'll try and not get us caught up in the vocabulary, but it is important at some point. <laughs> but like ultimately, um, there are a lot of practices. Now, whether those practices are purchased, collected, sold in, like by institutions or collectors, exhibited, that is a... That is a that is a big part of the discussion, but that does not that does not actually relate to the the amount of activity and work historically even that that exists. Now, the other thing to note is in the question, um, there there's a position on the number of women in art schools. Absolutely, more women in art schools today, but that's not historically true because women were kept out of art schools, and when they were allowed into art schools, they were steered like at the Bauhaus they were steered towards textile crafts yeah. and, and, and different sort of like decorative and they made arts. amazing work there exactly but even yeah. before that they weren't allowed you know the male nude for example which was like the center of a lot of art history like in terms of like practice and you know the, the human figure is so much of art history women were not allowed to be present in life drawing well it's uh, it, it, it's, it's very clear to me that the, there was a lot wrong in the past and but what what I'm curious about is how much is it still it, it it just felt to me that I saw so many great exhibitions by women in the last ten years like that it it really felt like uh, a lot of good energy and effort i I can just list i don't know i i I've, there's so many interesting female artists and it's very different than thirty years ago so i've really but the the thing that came to my mind immediately <clears throat> And it's very difficult to talk about because I'm in a privileged position, but the the idea that role models are very important. So that even if you're at a disadvantage, that I wouldn't focus my energy on what's wrong in the world, but I would focus my energy on role models that are in the same position that you are, but that found a way. And I think that's the most important thing. So whatever group... like. Uh, whatever group you feel attached to or relate to seek role models and even if you can't meet them try to find out as much as possible why they succeeded and why it worked for them and how they overcame their disadvantage sure my my, my main issue though with this you know with, with the framework of this um at all is that like his historically especially in the last 60 years there are so there's so many 
women artists that have been so influential that it's like, it's hard. Um, it's, it's really hard for me. Like the only way it doesn't make sense is so 2% of art sales at auction in any given year, like are, are by women. So only 2%, yeah, right. Yeah. But that's a different value system. One that I choose not, you know, traditionally to participate in where we say someone is valuable because they are, they are bought and sold for a certain price. No, no, but I, I do think you're making a good point that it can feel like we've made a lot of progress. And then you look at the data and it's like, wow, there's still such a disadvantage. Well, how do you want to cut the data? Yeah. Like, so if you cut the yeah. data by, by price, yeah, women are doing terribly. If you, if you cut the, and it's like, a, a, you but, know, but travesty, if, if, if you, you cut, cut the activity. data by price, but with contemporary works, because if, if you're looking at the auctions from the 17th century until mid 20th century mm-hmm. yeah that's going to be problematic and then if you look at um, the artists of the last 10 years and new works maybe the percentage is quite different and that might be, give you a lot more hope as a young uh, women or what sorry for the the terminology but let's no, don't get do you know what I mean I'm, I'm saying like if, if you if you look at the data of all art history it's so skewed it's depressing and you think I have no shot but then if you look at the data, like, what's the trajectory in the last 10 years and how much progress have we made? And is it going in the right direction? And then mm-hmm. that, I'm, I'm saying that the idea of hope is very important. Okay. Well, I mean, regardless because, of hope. Because that's one of, like, the, one of the problems, I think, with the, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, journalism is that it's so fear-based. And it, I think if you approach things from the side of hope and say, like, okay, we're still at a disadvantage, but we were at 10% 10 years ago and now we're at 20% or whatever growth numbers, uh, um, I think that's an important realization. But this point that she makes about having to translate her ideas for a male audience, I think is is, rele- is relevant, you know, depending on the circles that you're in, right? Like where, because I, I remember I was teaching at NYU and I had a, a, a student who is... Uh, well, it, no, no, but wait, let me just finish. She was, yeah. she, first of all, she... Um, they didn't identify with the you know our, the gender binary that we're discussing here, and and second, you know they they didn't identify with the the normative view of of bodies, and specifically like um, they were a black person, and in this and and what like in the class we were talking about identity, and it's impossible to separate your identity from 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 what you make, and they taught me a very important lesson, which was that. It's not my, you know, like I don't have a right to impose upon a person what they are allowed to make based on their identity. This person wanted to make work of their own curiosity and interest, specifically in, in, in the technology realm. This was relevant because they're like, I don't want to make work about being, you know, black and queer. I want to make, <laughs> I want to make work that yeah. is about an idea. And so one of the, I think, it, it, it is a tremendous burden and challenge to be in a marginal position and be told you have to make work about marginalization. Yeah, that's patronizing. Yeah, and I think that that, that Petra's but you making should be, a yeah, good you point be where she's like... Yeah, you should be free to do like, both. Well, but she, I think, yeah, I think but in it, her case, it's more... I, the, the way I interpreted it is that the world is competitive and aggressive, and she is not. And and I, I, you could ascribe that to gender roles, but it's also something that is uh, cross-gender, because... There are no, I get that women women who are all about the elbow and the networking and the fighting, and the, and there are men who are very shy and who can't compete in a competitive environment. So, yeah. I, this, by I'm the way, this sure. exists in I, like tech companies too. Yeah, or just yeah. In companies, so, corporate so, situations. And I, I do think most artists 
in general would rather be in a room making work than selling themselves. That that's that's I think that's is not related to but maybe boys at a young age are taught more to negotiate, to fight for a certain salary and, and things like that. Well there are yeah, there are constructs, whether anyone's taught or not, that people are you know, gendered into like yeah, social constructs. Yeah. And yeah, you, you know, the, feelings whether you belong or not. But I think a recurring theme of this podcast and us opening up about process is the idea of access to power and the idea of access yeah. to opportunities. Yes. And I would love it if there was a world where every artist is just free to make whatever they want and there's a basic uh, income for everyone and uh, everyone's free to explore their own interests whether anyone else cares or not. So that, that would be perfect. That would be a perfect world. Mm-hmm. But... I'm not sure what the solution is to someone who, who it, it, there's, there's a few artists that, you know, they, they were born with the right friends and they never had to promote themselves. They just always had someone else promoting them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're the, you just be the artist. You make your watercolors in Dreamworld and we'll sell it. Um, I mean, I think we have, to, the, we have to agree. Every that, artist I know yeah. personally, yeah. male or female, is always self-promoting. Well, I mean, it's necessary for for there to be a to, for voices to exist right and and for like ultimately we want the most amount of voices necessary for us to like get an interest like an interesting culture is not a mono voice right like if yeah. if it was yeah, you just have like yeah, yeah, yeah. squares that's on why, canvas or that's something. that's why i like big cities you just have yeah. a lot of weirdos yeah. yeah so more people at the dinner party you know let's say it's judy chicago's dinner party like the better right um and so the the question then becomes like okay are, you know does it require an invitation or not like so I just want to take the of like a brief the tiniest moment because we exist within a niche in the art world of like internet and new media art and specifically within the internet genre and especially early on the amount of activity by men and women was very often debated um, and I did see I have seen change over my my lifetime and career where. Yeah. Um, colleagues have demanded representation in shows, and that's been very exciting to see. Like other, um, you know, people demand not just gender well, that, representation yeah, but racial representation yeah. in shows. But that's that's exactly the feeling that I know we're not there yet, but I mm-hmm. feel like we've made a lot of uh, so much progress in the right direction. That's why I was a bit surprised with this question. But maybe it feels different in the U.S. than in Belgium. Well, also, it's going to feel different depending on who you are, right? You're not in that position. No, I know. And that's that's one of the shocking things where now with the all the trouble around Asian uh, hate crimes, I, I thought I have so many Asian friends and I never even felt any difference. And it, like I never I felt like mm-hmm. I felt like I know so many Asian people and I never the, the topic never came up. Yeah. And now all of a sudden everyone's opening up and it's kind of a shock. And maybe that's why I'm so uncomfortable talking about this because I'm, I am I live in a world where I'm like, oh, great, we're making progress. Uh, women are getting paid fairly. Uh, everybody has opportunities. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, it's uh, it, even yeah. friends that I know very closely. It's like, oh, I didn't know you had to go through that. Well, I mean, of course, like even within, so in my own family, I shouldn't talk about my family too much on the podcast because they sometimes listen, <laughs> but like, you know, I have a sibling who, you know, came out as gay at a certain point in their life, Mar- you know, married a, a wonderful woman, and then at some point decided, like, hey, actually, I'm, I don't, I don't really identify 
this way. I identify that way. I identify as queer, not necessarily lesbian. And so with like identification within a spectrum of history, like knowing where you are is something you negotiate over your entire life. Our identities in relationship to the yeah, sociologies the, the, there. The funny right. thing is it, it's just, uh, I never had to think about it. So it's, it's been that's, an eye that's opener. A great point. That's a good yeah, point. And it's, but it's this weird thing where, um, like, I like a certain style of music or different styles of music, and I I never browse like, oh, this should be fifty percent women. This playlist, mm-hmm. I just like that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. And I think I like aggressive music, and that's maybe my outlet for a certain energy. And uh, I, there are tons of women who like aggressive music, but maybe less than men. And then I look at my playlist, and it's like ninety percent men. And that was not a conscious decision, but I, I could clearly see that mm-hmm. if the tastemakers or the gatekeepers are mostly old white males, that they'll choose work that appeals to them and that favors. Yeah, I think you're making a really good point. Artists. So that yeah. it's, it's, this, it's this thing that seeps in that you're not aware of. And I think you have to continuously be made aware of. Even though I made the argument against the collecting, you know, and the money thing, I do think that that has a huge impact historically because it historically what has been true is that the people who are collected are the people who are yeah. preserved but going I think, back to our documentation think, question but i think the change the people, that yeah. that has happened is that the the people in power who collect are also seeing opportunities now of uh un, uncharted territory and new like areas of yeah. expertise where you could, there's a lot of room for speculation so all of a sudden they're like oh we've ignored this whole genre there's a lot of great art here and so yeah. there is a market mechanism where that is affecting social change through the market. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, what, what, like maybe what, one way to end this would be like for our listeners out there. The best, and, the and best thing always, you can do it, is with with yeah. those with those market growths. There's always winners and losers. So there's people that get dumped later, and it's not it's not a sweet ride or whatever. It's not a it's not a a healing uh, perfect solution. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, but like choose women. I guess is one of the. Like it, it, globally, that's like the yeah. choice. We, you know, there there are market forces, and I think like, but actually, purchasing and buying work by women is probably the best thing you can do, um, or women presenting artists. Yeah, um, and and especially for artists themselves who are not collecting, I think whatever your niche is and whatever you feel, I think it's very important to study people who work with a similar mindset. Then it might not even be your same category, but you just have a feeling that you like the way that person thinks and and you try to absorb as much as you can and learn from it. So let's say that you're working in an unpopular medium, that uh, you're really into uh, HDR photography and you can't seem to find a way in the contemporary art world with that. I I don't know what, but you have to find people that sort of match your personality and match your way of thinking and then try to absorb as much as you can. That's true. Movements are created collectively. So there, if there is collective action, like there's active collective yeah. activity, there's there's room for movement. There's room for change. But um, yeah, it's such a big topic. I, I feel like we're and and then just scratching. Let's the say that there's a category of artists that is shy and introvert, and that's regardless of background. That that uh, happens in every category, every category of people. That's something that I think if you want to survive as a completely shy introvert artist, you have to be really lucky. Oh, you have to have a good. That's, you just have to have good representation. Like I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make any promises. Like, oh, just do the work, and, and the world will find you. And I, when I think about the artists that I've met that make a living, all of them are really, 
they're working on documentation and making books and going to openings and all that stuff all the time. Whether the whatever the gender or the background, I think I I've never met an exception to that. You're talking about hustle culture, which is like extremely problematic, problematic. in itself. But like yeah, you yeah, can yeah. get someone else to hustle for you is one no, thing. No, but that, but I think yeah. with with artists specifically, it's a dream job. It's it's a job that a lot of people want, mm-hmm. and there's too much competition. So it like I don't disagree. If, I will, I, but I will leave the, like, like let's, and I want to end this point with like an opportunity, like regardless of, I don't, I don't even know if that's like a gendered position because I think there are artists of, of all backgrounds that have that trouble, but you can always hire a representative. Um, if, and if you don't have a lot of money, you can trade. <laughs> Jeremy's solution is always like, just throw some money at the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true. But recently I've started like, you know, you know who has a harder time than an artist in the world? A curator. <laughs> Oh yeah, and the number of independent curators out there. Well, I think the, you know. I think the curating job in the '90s was like the most fun life you could imagine, and now it became the most stressful life. Yeah, yeah, like the you know the the Hans Ulbricht era is over of like the the curator being like at the top of the editorial pile, and it's really difficult to maintain a career as a curator. Um, and a lot of there's a lot of smart folks that have come out of like curatorial programs. There are a lot of smart writers too. Hiring writers and curators and or and or trading services or collaborating with them, I think is one of the big thing, one of the huge opportunities that artists have, not only to like position their work to figure out where it belongs within an art historical dialogue, but also to to invite critique yeah. that, that makes yeah, the yeah. work better. Um, and you really have to invite that. I think that that's something we've talked about on the podcast quite a lot. And it, yeah. it, it and, makes and, you and, feel yeah. vulnerable, but it's helpful. And when I, th- you know, I just have to repeat all the time like that I came from the straight white male uh, group. So I never sure. had to think about identity growing up. But I was in the minority of computer artists, which especially late 90s, early 2000s. Like you'd go in a gallery and they didn't even have electricity. <laughs> they didn't have plugs in the gallery. So... What I'm trying to say is that what helped was being a group or like having friends. And that's really group shows and uh, publications and writing things together. And uh, yeah, all that stuff. The the, the group thing is, is, I would not recommend being a collective and making work together because I've seen a lot of friends do that. And then it's very hard to persist. And then when you split, it's kind of you lose your whole body of work. Yeah. So I would always... I would always recommend making your own work independently, but the group shows, you know, it worked for the young British artists, it worked for the surrealists, and uh, yeah. Okay, well, obviously that question we could have spent a whole an hour yeah. on, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll I be it. We're definitely going to come anyone. back on a lot of these themes in future podcasts. Yeah. What's the next question? Uh, what is Love by Piotr Urbanich? Let's have a listen. Uh, hello, this is Piotr speaking, and I have a question for you which is followed by a poem. The poem is at the beginning of the film Another Round. It's a Danish film just uh, released in 2020. And it's by a Danish poet, Soren Kinkergaard. What is youth? A dream. What is love? The content of the dream. And 
my question for you is actually what is love and maybe it's connected with youth and does it all end up with a breakup okay oh boy <laughs> yeah here we go um I, I, I'm asking genuine, genuinely before we go on to this question, like, uh, did I say anything offensive? In, your, in the last thing? Yeah, I wonder, because it's, it, it's such a, it's not my cup of tea. And, no, yeah. You know, I wish I the think best the for most, everyone. The most offensive thing you can do is be uncomfortable with a conversation, right? So yeah. I, the, the best thing we can all do, and this is true about love as well, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, is engage in conversation and not well, hold ourselves but, but maybe, to one position. I, I agree with you in theory. Like mm -hmm. It's best to engage and, and be open, but it seems that when you engage in a conversation, you're also taking a risk. And so if you're quiet, you're not taking that risk. And so you might say something that can be taken out of context. And mm. then if you're just quiet, it's like, okay, I, just, I don't want the attention. I just do my, yeah. Sure. So but you and I are, are always seeking to undermine each other constantly on this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like we've, yeah. we've held almost every position imaginable. It, it, it's a constellation, right? It's yeah. not. Well, that's position. why I'm more comfortable in, in a podcast than on Twitter. Cause mm -hmm. you, you noticed when you announced on Twitter that you wanted to do work on foundation, then you get into a very heated debate about energy and, mm -hmm. Is that the right medium for it, or is it better to do Yeah, so, I don't know. It, it's, I, I think um, a lot of people must feel this, like, I'd rather be quiet because it's tricky to say anything. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, we have the privilege of speaking and, and thinking out loud, and, and so here we are. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. on this, so Kinkergaard, I don't know if you're a big Kinkergaard fan. I, I actually will admit a certain naivete here. I love yeah. I love the poem. Yeah. I feel like yeah, this is, great. we're back in your comfort zone here, though. Yeah. Um, where, where do we, where do we want to begin with this? Like this is like I feel well, like I have no right to be an expert. On this, I I, th I think um, that this is an exploration of language. I think because I I really feel like there's a lot of things that are un unexplainable, mm -hmm. and that's why they're amazing. And I think love is one of those. So to ask to translate the feeling of love into words, I think. Uh, has been a challenge for poets for as long as uh, humans have existed. So mm -hmm. we all know how it feels, but no one can pinpoint it. So I think mm. that, you know, everyone can pinpoint, like, how do you get a visa? You have to do step A, B, C, and D, go on this form, sign this stamp. Like, that's definable. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's the best example. There's tons no, but of examples. I, I, you know, but, like, one of the like how, how do you cook an apple pie? It's like this, this, and this. But how does the apple pie taste? That is very difficult. Like well, one that, of, yeah. One yeah. of the first thoughts that occurs to me, though, is that, like, within the spectrum of art, a lot of what is deemed collectible, stereotypically, is youthful and, a, and about love, like, and desire of youth. Well, and I can remember yeah, this I from do, being a younger uh, artist. Yeah, actually. not only youth, but it's uh, maybe youth is a... Uh, equivalent of excitement so it, it's the mm -hmm. idea of curiosity and enthusiasm and I think love has a lot to do with that where uh, you love someone so much that you're excited to see them or spend time with them and uh, you're excited to, it, I like this idea of inspiration of, of it being falling in love with an idea and you get this idea and, and you just have to do it mm -hmm. And that, that that's something I love as a feeling, and I think it's also love itself. Well, sometimes life can feel like, you know, it's um, a, a pair of glasses that 
uh, go longer and longer unwashed. Like things get foggier and foggier. You know, the precision of the destination becomes less and less meaningful. Like I can remember being young and being so driven by like goals that now I might, you know, just put two weeks (laughs) toward I was like, this is it. This is going to be my whole life. I'm dedicated, mm-hmm. right? Like you're setting, it's like, it, you're at the, it's the beginning of the road trip and the destination, like the campground is, is like a euphoric utopia, right? And then what's amazing is you actually reach that campground, or at least in my lifetime, a bunch of times and you look back and when you can't reach it again, or you can't have that feeling again, you know, similar to like a high, it can sometimes feel like, how do I recapture that feeling? And, and also a arrive back at that destination. Um, and I know I'm, cause I'm middle-aged now, like you're, apparently we're in the most depressive period of our lives, you and I, uh, because you realize what you have achieved. You can look back halfway and you can look forward at what you have, what yeah. time you have left. And what, what are you the things that, that that's interesting about that midlife feeling is whether that's a construct or whether it's biological. Mm-hmm. And like, I think uh, there's a lot of constructs in society and expectations. So there's this idea when you're 20, you're like, oh yeah, I could be an astronaut. And that's if you haven't made any direction towards being an astronaut by the time you're 50, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that are very clear that they, they, you cannot become a, a, a pro basketball player at age 70. Like mm-hmm. We can agree. But... With art, I think there are tons of examples of people who started out when they're 50. Of so, course, yeah. And, and there's people who were recognized after death. So even if statistically it doesn't happen that much, there is this idea of eternal youth that you could find something when you're 80. Why not? And uh, I, I, th- that's more to the question of youth, not so much love. But I, I find inspiration and love very tied together and hope. So, Well, let's time there, I think there's different phases in in your internal creativity, mm-hmm. and there's different phases in the, the the world that they're like, oh, we'd like to discover young artists. You're old now. You've already chosen a direction, and mm-hmm. we're not interested in that direction or whatever. Well, I mean, irrespective of youth, like if love is um, it, uh, like a a coupling activity, like, and I don't want to normalize it too much that way because I think that's like a less interesting conversation, but. If it's, you know, finding a partner um, that you share with, you know, and, you know, early on in your life, there's a certain desire that's tied to that, right? Like, potentially biological. But I think, separate from that, um, there is a feeling that a life, uh, you know, unshared is one absent of love, um, and that, I, I, that that's another construct. I think there are yeah. people who can, I mean, it's rare, but no, I know that's why I want to unpack who, it though. Like, yeah. Because and I think, so what I've heard or read is that like people who give away a lot or are generous towards others, like, and often these are people without money are much happier, right? We know that, you know, that's kind of the cliche than someone who's accumulated a lot for themselves. Yeah. And I guess the, the thing that and, I want and the other argument for happiness is that people who, can spend the time on their own terms. Mm-hmm. So people, that, that's not accumulating money, yeah. but accumulating time. And it's like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. yeah, choices are, yeah. So I think within that within that framework of thinking, you know, like exchange and, and like sharing 
like giving giving back love is actually giving giving not taking i guess is kind of where i at least in my life like as i can speak personally i think any definition fails that's my feeling because mm-hmm. there's tremendous love also in uh receiving but when like when like being about, open yeah. being open to others and and receiving them fully and not trying to be a giver all the time but also accepting that people want to give you something that's true is also a form of love so it I, I've noticed the same question: What is art and what is love? Is that you? It's it's a fun game, but you can debate infinitely, mm-hmm. and there's always exceptions. And well, yeah. many people disagree, and that's why it's interesting. I don't think it's a Robert Indiana sculpture. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's so cool on Instagram. But you know what's amazing about that is that yeah, like any artwork that ever just had the word love in it, it was immediately successful. <laughs> <laughs> what's not to like? Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're Tracy Emin. You know, great. Love, yeah. good. Don't, Let's don't do you it. like Sex. love? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, but you don't get the same thing with art about food, right? Like, I mean, there, because there are these like categories of like, yeah. um, these, are the macro, these are the macro categories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope, uh, I think we went from a comfort zone to less and less comfortable throughout the episode. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm still in love with Kristen, but love has changed. It's evolved, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm still in love with my parents, you know, but it's a different love than when I was a kid. Like, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I feel very fortunate with the people I met in my life and the, um, a lot of love and support as long as I can remember. Yeah. And the person who loved me the most and made the biggest impact in my life loved me for just, you know, a couple of years. Um, and I don't even know if they really loved me the way I loved them. But like I've spoken about this teacher that I had. Um, Alan Campbell, right? And it it, like that love actually has coursed through like my entire life as an energy that has driven me to do almost everything, every choice I've ever made. And I remember like, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but he died right while I was working with him. And he was in hospital for two weeks, like he only survived two weeks in hospital in cancer care. And at his memorial, the nurses came up and gave a speech. about how in those two weeks he had shared so much love that they had, he had transformed their lives as mm. a whole, the whole company of nurses that surrounded him. So you're and, thinking competitively about love. I'm there's not like thinking a rank, competitively There's like a hierarchy. It's like, who, who is the champion of love? Oh, yeah. I do think some people are charged. I don't, like I a, don't agree with that They have a love charge out there. <laughs> no, I, I, I have a very big problem with hierarchy. And I, I think like people say, like, what's your favorite food? It's like, it doesn't matter what the best dish is in the world. You don't want to eat it every day. So you don't want like, to listen. You're like you don't Gandhi want to listen to the y- Beatles every day. It's like oh, that's the best music ever. You don't want to listen to Mozart every day. They had a great love song, but I mean, yeah. your your point is like what Gandhi didn't. You know, just shouldn't be compared to me or something. <laughs> like. There are definitely people out there who have changed the world with their just like ability to you know. Yeah, lead, I don't. Lead see, I don't see. I don't see any benefit to a hierarchy. Hmm. That's that's the thing, and I think a lot of artists struggle with this, and I do too. Like it's it's very hard to think non hierarchically, and it's like, do I love this work more than that work? Which work is the true me? Mm. What is love? And like all these definitions, even the question, what is love? To me, is as I've defined my work a bunch of times, and I was always wrong. So I said my work is code based; it should never be a video. And now I love video. I said, I will never make objects. And then I started making objects. And sure. I'm very happy that I did. And I said, oh, I would never move to New York. Or what, whatever definitions you set up or boundaries. Can't box you in. 
<laughs> exactly. No, but it's 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 a cliche, but uh, yeah. I I do find like, um, what do you love more, like working or going to the beach? And why uh, do you actually, have to choose? I do think you're making a really good yeah. point, which is the recipient of love can't be defined by that love either, right? Like so. Yeah. The, any yeah any anything that's fixed in position that just doesn't make sense, right? It has to be. Uh, something that evolves and is in conversation over a lifetime. Okay, I, I can be. Yeah. Com- I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, a lot of love from our audience always. I, I, the, I love love like from the, our audience. Yeah. So, and, but uh, this it, it's a very weird kind of community because it's not a direct conversation like on Clubhouse, but I, I feel like it seeps in over time, and uh, it's nice. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, Clubhouse might come and go, but we'll keep talking. We'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> no shade on Clubhouse. Yeah. I don't know why I've always put, I get so many Clubhouse notifications now for conversations I should join though, that I'm always like, ah, like, can you just have one good one a day and let me know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for the questions. Thank you, everybody. Keep coming. Um, yeah. Keep on, uh, keep on loving in your own way. Yeah. Love everything. <laughs> love yourself, I think. Oh yeah. That's what Jeremy has to learn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're always telling me i just yeah. saw like an advertisement from a local drugstore that was like why don't you love yourself oh it, <laughs> it's it's, it's there's a like, buy this bath bomb it's funny when you talk about giving and taking and the the book american psycho which is more extreme than the movie uh that, that's all about complete egotism and uh, the yuppie, the, the the murdering yuppie, and whatever. And there's a chapter where he reviews Whitney Houston and the song "The Greatest Love of All," because that song is about the love of the self. Mm. And it it is true in a sense that it, that's saying like you you can't be in a committed relationship until you also accept yourself. Uh, and so this idea that if you don't love yourself, it's hard to love others. And, and, and mm-hmm. it, the, I I. What you were saying about like giving being the highest form of love, I think that's a simplification, and I do think, mm-hmm. I, and I especially disagree. this is one for artists. I think you don't have to love yourself, you don't have to think of yourself in any hierarchical way, whatever, but you have to be at peace with the fact that you have desires to make things, and that that's okay. Oh, I yeah. think that that's that's the basis for inspiration that you have an idea and you have permission to pursue that idea. Oh boy! And but I think like, yeah, that's, you're opening that's, a Pandora's that's, box here. Because yeah, but to me, to me, that's love when you allow yourself to follow your energy. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think that we didn't talk about it at all. But like the loathing of one's own work. Um, yeah, and exactly. Oneself is and that's what the hierarchy weird. thing that I'm trying to get rid of, and it's very hard. But it's like mm-hmm. you go through your work, and you're like, well, that one is better than this one, and which one is better, and it doesn't matter. What matters is that you just find energy and keep doing stuff. But so. Yeah, that's a good note. And that's on. love. Yeah. I love it. I love that idea. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Bye-bye. Love Bye. you. Bye.